Welcome to Real Talk for the Nonprofit Event Pro, powered by Beyond, where we dive heart first into all things events in the nonprofit world. Hi, I'm Amy Milne, your host and CEO of Beyond and the Nonprofit Event Collective, where we believe that your events matter. You're not just hosting an event, you're inviting people to join you in changing the world. We're here to talk tricks of the trade and share tales from the trenches so you can produce epic events that inspire participants, raise more money, and change lives. Let's dive in. I am beyond excited to welcome Ted McCartan, Senior Director, Community Engagement at Ann and Robert H. Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago, to Real Talk for the Nonprofit Event Pro podcast today. Ted has spent the better part of his career working in the nonprofit event space and is a passionate advocate for both his teams and the people whom he serves. Ted is deeply connected to ensuring the work he does has a lasting impact, and he is here today to share tales from the trenches and tips and tricks that you don't want to miss. Ted has quickly become one of my favorites in the nonprofit space, and I know after today he will be one of yours as well. It is my great pleasure to get real with Ted today. Ted, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Amy. I'm excited to be here. First, this is my first ever podcast, so like I'm great. Yeah, so let's do it. Let's do it. This is, we talked about when we met in Washington back in March, we talked about, you know, your name is Ted. So this is your Ted talk. I love it. I'm so pumped that your debut is on our show. So I have had the pleasure of meeting and spending and investing time with you, but our good human listeners don't know who you are yet. So please enlighten us. Who are you? What do you do? And you know, what's your story? Yeah, thanks. So my name is Ted McCartan. I'm the Senior Director of Community Engagement for the Ann and Robert H. Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago Foundation. It's a mouthful, but ah. that's the name of our hospital. So Lurie Children's Hospital is the number one children's hospital in Illinois. And our team does basically all of our peer-to-peer fundraising and you know engages folks in a variety of ways. We have six events that we host throughout the year, you know, and it's we sort of divide our what we call our community engagement department. In two, in two sort of large buckets. In one of them, we call distinguished events. And that's sort of things that you wear high heels and bow ties to. And that's not what our team does. And then you have <laughs> community events and community fundraising. And that is the type of stuff that you wear t-shirts and sneakers to. Or in the case of community fundraising, it's things that people are doing on their own. DIY yeah. fundraising, as you will. Although some of those are fancy, but still sort of representing kind of the grassroots of the Lurie Children's community. And that's what I do. I've been at Lurie Children's for seven years. Before that, I was with two national organizations, one called the American Cancer Society, where I did a variety of corporate partnership work and event work. And then before that, I was with an organization called Best Buddies International, where I worked Mm -hmm. on their ride team. They have some amazing bike rides. Mm -hmm. I think there's three of them now. And then also I was a program manager, a volunteer manager. was my very first role with Best Buddies long, long time ago. Wow. That's awesome. So you've you, like to see the federated model and the bigger national, and then to come into the hospital, I'm sure there's like great synergies there and learning, but is there one you prefer? Did you like the federated model? Do you like working in a single foundation? What's your thought? I think for me, I like being what I would consider Lurie Children's is, which is like big, but local. And that. we have the the privilege of being a, a pretty big fundraising shop. You know, there's almost a hundred people in the foundation and our marketing oh, team is kind of with the foundation and our team's portion of the pie is like a sliver of that. 
You know, mm-hmm. a lot of that is, is major gifts. We would be what I would describe as a major gift shop. But we have the resources of, of this sort of medical center and, and, and things like that. We have a, a video team and, and then that's great. And then you have the flexibility still of being a local organization where, I mean, our team comes up with stuff all the time and you don't need to run that up the flagpole. So oh, I do think it's kind of the best of both worlds, but yeah. you know, I, I admire a lot of the work being done by national organizations for sure. And they're able to, you know, apply learnings across like, you know, their country mm-hmm. or their many markets or North America and, and learn a lot from, from all of that thing on kind of like more of a, a macro scale mm-hmm. where since we're isolated in one market, you right. know, we're forced to make friends with folks, but privileged to make friends with folks like you to try to learn like what's yeah. going on in other markets. And like our, what we're seeing in Chicago is to say, is this an anomaly or is this a trend? Right. So yeah, that's really cool. I love that. I love that you call it distinguished. It's so, it sounds just so fancy. I yeah. Like you can it. put your pinky up when you say it, if you'd like. Yeah, totally. Like, I feel like it's like bubbly and finger up. I love it. I will say one other thing about yeah. the, like you Do said, it. federated the federated model versus kind of the local model was I had a role in corporate partnerships as well. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a nuance between how those two models affect fundraisers, but then also how an organization might approach corporations. And so I think that's shifted a little bit in like my time in nonprofit, where when I was with the American Cancer Society, we were focused a lot on companies headquartered in Chicago, which Mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense. But then there's a lot of companies that aren't headquartered in Chicago that also might be, there might be a utility for those organizations to partner with, with many different organizations. And so, you know, a lot of things now are hyper-local, you Mm -hmm. know, from like the food at your table to, you know, the, the, the beer you drink or the fruit you get out of a basket. So I think nonprofits have definitely shifted in that way as well. Even the mm-hmm. even the large the large ones right. seem to have, have started to tell their stories a little differently and start to emphasize local stuff again, which I think is great. Well, for sure, and it's then it's a community taking care of a community, which is so beautiful. I love that. Tell me, what does how much does your event team raise? Like, what's your what's your slice of the pie, as you said? Yeah. So if you count community fundraising and community events together, it's about $5 mm-hmm. million. And so each okay. of those slices is about two point, you know, two to 2.6, depending on the year. And so that's where we shake out. Cool. And then what about the distinguished? I know it's not your team, but where does that, that, that shake out would for be you? More over closer to 10. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. Probably like maybe eight. You're putting me on the spot a little bit there, but <laughs> That's ball, okay. the ball is, our ball is really, really big. We have a big children's yeah. ball for our research department. Cool. We have a golf event. That's, that's very, very big. That's almost $2 million. So no, wow. you'd be close to six right there. And then we have a fashion show that's about a million. So that would be seven. And then there's some additional events that are probably going to take that probably north of eight. So I would say anywhere okay. between eight to 10. Okay, cool. Yeah. I guess it's yeah. amazing how it adds up, right? So for sure. I think that's pretty awesome. So one of the one of the things that I love to talk about, and I know it's something I want you to talk about, is you know when it comes to events, you can just throw something together and you can throw it out there and hope it sticks. Or you know the way that I like to start developing events and looking at them is really the why. And so whether it's the why behind how your team is exists or the why behind an event, tell me how why lives in your world. Well, what a great question! No wonder you're such a, a <laughs> A successful podcast host. Yeah, I think why means a lot of different things. I think like why host an event? I mean, I guess I think another way of looking at that is sort of like what problem are we solving? You know, like what, or it's almost like identifying a purpose statement, you know, Mm -hmm. why do something you need a purpose to do it. And then I think 
to hook onto that, it would be like, what, what problem are we solving? So in, in simplest terms, obviously it's to raise money for a need. And then I think the other thing about that, that's a little bit more that perhaps sophisticated that organizations should consider in terms of measuring success is there is an ROI about like community building and then also, you know, providing, providing an opportunity for many people in the community to give back. And I think that's something that distinguishes peer-to-peer fundraising compared to distinguished events to use both of those words again. Mm-hmm. Really anybody can do a walk. Anybody can fundraise, do a lemonade stand. It takes mm-hmm. efforts for sure. Some people mm-hmm. might tell themselves that they can't, but, but truly you, you've, you've seen anyone from any walk of life, you know, mm-hmm. fundraise. And I think for us at Lurie Children's, you know, over half the patients we see are Medicaid. And we believe that having a, a way for, we treat over 200,000 patients a year. And for having mm-hmm. a way for any of those families that wish to be grateful and show their gratitude to Larry Children's, mm-hmm. giving them an avenue to do that and a platform to do that does matter. And if that mm-hmm. person, you know, raises $10,000 or raises $10, I think it still has a, it still has an impact on our organization. And I think, I think it even has an impact on that, on that family. And sometimes on that child's life where we'll have, we'll have children with holding like a giant check with, you know, $4. I love that. The smiles on their faces and how, how happy they are. So, so I think the why is, is playing a, is, is raising money for a need at your organization, whether it's Mm -hmm. a specific project or, Mm -hmm. you know, helping, helping operations. And I think the second aspect of that is I talked about kind of like being opportunities for everyone within your community. Yeah. I think the strategic way of saying that would be like the beginning of the funnel of a donor's journey, right? Right. So let's do bring in at, at Lurie Children's more new donors than any other platform, including our annual programs. And so wow. we're, we're, we're bringing them in. And I think one of the things that's different with events versus annual programs is a lot of times they might be donors to an individual versus right. the organization. We're trying yeah. to get more strategic on transitioning that, right? And, and flipping that to make them, instead of donors to one of our marathon runners, make them donors to the marathon runner and, and. Donor to Larry Children's. Yeah, I love that. There's so much gold in what you said. And I I, I really, I, I'm a huge fan of like what that, what's that problem we're trying to solve and really dissecting that. Because at the end of the day, I always look at events like their products, right? Their products, they need to go out, they need to fulfill a need by the funds that are raised, but then they also need to be attractive to those of us who want to participate, right? We don't want to just throw it in an event and say it's a fundraising event. And if no one comes, we haven't achieved anything. And so, you know, I, I think it's, you know, if you're looking at a sporting event, the problem you're trying to solve is someone wants to go run and then do good. And so I love that. And the purpose statement, I think is really cool because you can have a purpose statement really for any and all your events, which I really like. I really like that. Can you tell me a little bit, there might be some Canadian listeners here, just since a sidebar, but what's Medicare? Oh my gosh. I don't want to act like, so I said Medicaid. Okay. Oh, Medicaid. Sorry. Yes. The difference between Medicaid and Medicare, the way that I at least remember it is that Medicare is for older individuals. So it ends with an R. So think of retirement. Got it. Got it. I like it. At least that's the way that I remember it. And then Medicaid is basically government provided healthcare for, you know, lower income individuals. Okay. So, and you see, like you service that group of people, like you just said, so it's over half, over half of our patients are Medicaid. That's so, beautiful. yeah, absolutely. And I think that's not unique to Larry Children's. I mean, okay. generally speaking, most, I think all hospitals, and again, I'm over my skis a little bit on, on the policy stuff here, but I mean, hospitals need to take patients with Medicaid, right? We're not going to turn it. families away because, because of that. So, so yeah, but I think it illustrates the need, especially in a market like Chicago, you know, we're a very, you know, yeah, diverse very cities. Diverse. 
you know, there's a lot of social challenges with many of our fellow Chicagoans and, and we're here to support all of them. And so we're proud to, we're proud to do that. I love that. Tell me a little bit more about trying new things. I think coming out of COVID or even before, I mean, part of my plight in life has always been to get us in this sector to be, you know, trying new things, doing things differently, shaking the pot and, you know, not just what comes out of it, but what can we do? And so where, where is your organization and your team at in terms of trying new things in the event space? Tell me a little bit about where you're at with that. Yeah, I think, again, since we're a small slice of the pie and we are, in terms of Larry Children's Foundation's overall revenue, and we've raised over $60 million last year. And so, like I mentioned, our team is just shy of five. So we we are able to, I think, try new things often. And I was taking a course at a great local university here, Northwestern. It has a great nonprofit education like certificate program. And there was a, there was a, a session on innovation and they're professors from their MBA program, which is one of the best in the country. And he said, you should innovate early, often, and cheaply. Okay. And so that's what we think about when we try new things. And I think we try to ask ourselves, like, what are we, what are we risking here? You know, like, mm-hmm. are we risking a little bit of time? Are we risking a small amount of money? Is there any reputational risk? And if that answer is like, no, no, and not much, then, you know, let's, let's try it. I think the word innovation is like, so like sexy or whatever. <laughs> it's kind of intimidating. Yeah. And sometimes it's like, yeah, you know what? Like maybe we shouldn't put the year on our marathon jerseys so we can reuse them each year. Like you just gotta, I think you gotta destigmatize it and you just gotta like, again, sort of try new things. You know, during COVID to bring this back to like a solutions or or purpose statements during COVID, you know, things were crazy. And (laughs) I wanted our leadership to know that like our team was gonna be part of the solution and we were going to try to think of things to do. And so during COVID, we started a couple of new events and like, what did we put into those? Not much in terms of revenue. We built a website and then we promoted them. One of them was a virtual yoga event. Certainly was some, some time that went into it. We, and then we sort of got local yoga studios from all over Chicago to do videos. And this was in the heat of COVID. So this is February of 2021 when most folks are, are certainly not going to yoga studios mm-hmm. and it, it was pretty successful. The next year it was less successful and we stopped it. Right. Amazing. You stopped it. That's awesome. I, I love rather, it. I would rather try something and stop than like never try, you know, like I'm a father. And Ooh. so it's like being a, for one of your kids, you know, it's like, well, you got to at least try or you're never going to do anything mm-hmm. new. And then the other event that we started was a virtual cycling event, which we've invested like very little in again, mm-hmm. we have a website. And it's been pretty successful. And I think it's, I don't know if we're going to continue doing it for a long time in its current format, but I think it has informed us that there are, there are cyclists in the Lurie children's community. There are cyclists in our medical center that are physicians Mm -hmm. and researchers and nurses. And I think it's proven what the, our industry, the peer to peer fundraising industry knows is that the cycling community is a, is an affluent one Mm -hmm. and a, and a desirable one. In fact, I think if you remember looking at the P2P top 30 yep, or whatever. Top 30, yeah. Of the top 10, mm-hmm. I believe six were cycling events. Don't quote me on that, but I think yep. six or seven were cycling events. And you can validate that for me here. And as I um, think Amy, I literally have this beside me. So as Amy looks at that, I will just add one more thing, fun, a fun piece of data in case we have any data nerds is we had the most, so in order to earn a jersey for a cycling event, you had to fundraise $500. 
So this is inspired by our friends with the Great Cycle Challenge. It's the same fundraising model, basically. And we design a sexy jersey that people want. And we had the highest number of $500 donations at the time of registration as a percentage than any of our other events, like by far. And we probably had more people donate 500 bucks when they signed up than we even have for one of our largest peer-to-peer fundraising events that has 2,000 people signing up. That's one of our larger ones. And we had, I think our first year, we had 300, 300 or 250 people sign up for what we call Pedal Palooza. And oh, I love we that. had more people donate 500 bucks when they signed up out of those 300 than, than donate when they sign up for 2,000 and make that big of a donation. So what that tells you is it's that affluent audience. So that was enough yeah. rambling for how many cycling events. No, but I love that. But what I love about that though too is that like, you know, people talk about is the jersey dad, is the t-shirt, like, should we not have these? And it's, but people still want something that commemorates their involvement. There's pride there, right? Like if you create something that people want, then people will buy it. It's the same yeah. as the retail, you know, our commercial industry mm-hmm. or like everything that's opposite of nonprofit make it cool and they'll come like yeah there's like i just think there's something there right the jersey that, for cycling is definitely not dead like if you go to any right. cycling event nonprofit or otherwise i mean people love their cycling jerseys like it is yeah, it yeah. is a thing a, a part of that community which i have dabbled in in my in my existence but that's a kind of a best buddies holdover you know like i right i learned a lot about my event background from the best buddies challenges and mm-hmm. i admire that organization still volunteer with that organization still support that organization and they have really, really cool cycling jerseys. They used to be designed by Romero Brito, the artist. And, cool. and so you got a different Romero Brito designed jersey each year. And I would be out at tables, expoing them and trying to get people to sign up for the event. And we would hang those jerseys up so people would see them. And this is like a subtle little tip. So people want to walk a little tip. This is like a TED tip. My term team heard this. They'd be like, yeah, for sure. We were not <laughs> selling the jerseys. You can't sell the jerseys yeah. because you have to earn them. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's an important distinction. And I think you it seems silly sometimes, even if it's a hundred dollar fundraiser at your walk, but you can't sell it. You can't get it for $20. Like the people, cause, cause that person over there, Amy at the other side of the tent, she and her, you know, ch- kids, they sold lemonade for like four weekends in a row to raise the hundred dollars. Yeah. So if you start selling it, you're going to devalidate all of that. And it, and it doesn't have that, that value and kind of that prestige. So yeah, that's definitely sure. something that we try to do. And we end up with a lot of extra shirts. Because of that, because we wouldn't get them, <laughs> but I think it's, I think it represents sort of that experience and that, and what you're trying to create. For sure. It creates a cachet. And like you just said, that Jersey isn't a hundred dollars to some people. It's a, like that Jersey is literally a minimum of $500 or it's $10,000 or it's $20,000. Like it's just, it's not, it's not something that you just hand over. I love that. I also back to your one tip of not putting dates on stuff. I am a huge fan of that. Both in your marketing materials and on some of your items and your signage and stuff. So it can be reused, but also so it creates a like, you know, a reason for someone to come to you. Like we used to not, a lot of the times we tell our clients not to put dates, event dates on like a box slip or some of the advertising that goes out. People are like, why? Because they'll call us, they'll look for it. You don't want someone to make a decision that, oh, I'm not available on October 7th because my kid's birthday. You want someone to still get involved. All right, so um, you want take a look. You want something that kind of builds on that story time? With, yes, uh, with I do. Yeah, so we send out an email for Step Up for Kids. Step Up for Kids is our stair climb event, is in February, and it's our it's our highest fundraising peer to peer fundraising event. It's an awesome event. If anyone's in Chicago, please go. And so we send out emails, right? We send out a lot of yep. emails peer fundraising, trying to get people to sign up. 
Our medical center chair, board chair, she's a wonderful woman. She evidently reads emails like this, which I don't think she, <laughs> she's not much of a, I don't think she's been to step up. And I'm not saying, you know, I'd love to see her there next year. She forwards this email to our chief development officer, who's my boss's boss. And she's like very nicely, but she's just like, Grant, just want to let you know that the date isn't in this email. And so Grant sends it to me and he's like, Ted, heads up, the date's not on the email. And I'm like, slip past me. That seems like an obvious thing. And I'm again, fortunate to have some resources. I have a marketing colleague that helps write a lot of emails as well. And she helps us with our communication strategy. And she's like, Ted and I partnered on the email, yada, yada, yada. So accountability is all on us. It's all good. She looked at the performance of that email. It was our best performing email of the campaign. Now, correlation or causation, I don't know, but I, it seemed like they had more clicks and maybe it's because people are like, I wonder what the date is. So, right. And then you're driving people to your website and then you're driving like, right. Like that was always our whole thing is we don't want you to make a decision. We want you to take one more step. And so then that person is interested. And you're probably talking about Grant that I know as well from Sick Kids, right? I am. Yeah. Love Grant. Hi, Grant. So you talk a lot about volunteering as well. You said you're both still volunteering and obviously within your community events department, there's, there's volunteers. So talk to, talk to us a little bit about, you know, some best practice experience or tips and tricks that even people can add to their volunteer program. And just in your experience, both as being a volunteer and then obviously leading it, leading a team that works with a lot of volunteers, because especially if you're dealing with DIY stuff. Yeah. So I think my experience with, with best buddies and then with the American cancer society, for sure, like drilled home, a lot of great fundamentals when it came to volunteer management, volunteer partnership and things Mm -hmm. like that. When I, my first role with best buddies was managing college students and in that, and they were a volunteer chapter of best buddies in their campus. Right. And so I used to tell them that I want their volunteer experience to be three things. I want it to be meaningful. Like I want there to be I want it to be connected by that. I think for that, for me, that means I want it to be connected to the mission. Like I want it to have the mm-hmm. meaning that you want it to have by volunteering for this organization. Okay. Mm-hmm. I want it to be meaningful. The second thing I want it to be is impactful. And that's mm-hmm. different than meaning because impactful means we're having an impact. We're doing stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm a big sports metaphor person. So that means like we're moving the ball down the field or the puck down the rink for my hockey friends. I don't know if that is a perfect <laughs> metaphor, but like, the volunteers lose steam when they're like, what, we're not doing anything, you know, mm-hmm. like hands-on volunteer projects are so successful because it's like, we started the day and there was no playground. We ended the day at four o'clock and there was a playground. We took right. a picture of it. We had an impact. So meaningful, impactful. And then the last thing that I told college students is fun. And you're choosing to give your time to do this. Like it should be enjoyable and maybe fun mm-hmm. means a different thing for different people, but like, you should enjoy your time. And so those three things I talk about with executives now that are volunteering on Lori Children's Boards. We have a committee okay. for a Cobra Cup event. These are executives. And mm-hmm. I literally told the exact same spiel. I told them, I want you to have meaning. I want you to know that this matters for Lori Children's mission. I want us to like do stuff and get stuff done. And I want you to have fun and like be yourself. And it's okay. Like, if someone's an executive or not, you know, one of my wife who who calls on lots of different people in her profession, she's like, everybody's somebody's mom or dad, or everybody's somebody's son or daughter or, or, or sibling or whatever. Like everyone's got a human side. Yeah. You have fun. Like you can appeal to yeah. the human side. And I think especially with volunteers, like these people mm-hmm. are doing this outside of their business hours. So 
So we try to sort of take some of that with our whole approach to volunteers with my team. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that I really like that I learned at the American Cancer Society that's specific to events is that I think can help people think about how they're staffing events and how they're working Mm -hmm. with volunteers on events is we used to think about events as being staff-led and volunteer-supported or volunteer-led and staff-supported. And I think when you're building out your team and you're thinking about different events in your portfolio, like what's the approach? Are volunteers helping? What are we asking them to do? Mm -hmm. Are they just like helping us pick out balloons and tablecloths or are they doing what we need them to do? You know, a DIY program is a great example of something that's volunteer-led and it's volunteer-owned. It's only volunteers Mm -hmm. doing it. And then staff is supporting them. Whereas I think a lot of events in my portfolio are certainly staff-led for sure. And then sometimes we do have volunteers in certain ways. And I think we're trying to think of better ways to kind of plug them in and mm-hmm. help us with what we need, which is typically fundraising or opening yeah. doors. It's money and people. That's how we save lives. <laughs> money and people. So I think, you know, I like different sort of, you know, mantras, I guess, like this, like meaningful, impactful, yeah. and fun, staff-led, volunteer-led, one of those two distinctions. And then I think the last distinction that we think of for my for our team with community events and community fundraising at Larry Children's is that one of the mo- one of my favorite parts of my job is getting to work with you know the families of Larry Children's that have been impacted and are choosing to do our events or choosing mm-hmm. to fundraise and i think that is not that far it's like a dotted line to people that maybe don't have that super deep connection but they're still mm-hmm. choosing to give back you know right. like everyone is so busy I've got four kids. I mentioned that already. Like I'm really busy, but I honestly don't think I'm any busier than someone that does that has four dogs or no dogs or whatever. Right. Totally. They're busy doing other stuff. There's just, we're just always competing for our own time. And for someone to choose to give their time to do something that they care about, whether their child was a patient of Larry Children's or not, or they were a patient of Larry Children's or not, is two words for me. And these are common words I think that people talk about with with work. It is a privilege and it is a responsibility. And I think the responsibility piece reminds us to like not suck and like let's get <laughs> back to people. Like let's mm-hmm. let's remind ourselves to provide really good service. And I think that's one thing that we, you know, I mentioned our team has these values that we've created. And I think that's one thing that that we we pride ourselves on that is like it's a responsibility to work with these people, right? Mm-hmm. Especially I'll go back to the people that have been impacted by our hospital or those yes. friends of ours that are listening that might work for organizations where fundraisers might might be choosing to, to fundraise to make meaning of, 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 a, of a devastating thing that happened in their life. You're damn right. That's a responsibility to play a role in that family's journey. And it's a small role. I don't want to overblow it, but, but, but if they're sure. choosing to show up on event day and, and pay for parking and, and mm-hmm. I want them to have a good experience. And if this is the way that they're remembering someone or celebrating someone or some, some, something that happened in their life, it is a responsibility and it is a privilege as well that they're choosing mm-hmm. to do this and we get to play a role in that. So, you know, volunteer, I think is a really, really broad term. I think team captains are volunteers. I think mm-hmm. marathon runners are volunteers. It's kind of the first way we almost identify folks before they're a participant or a mm-hmm. team captain, which would maybe be more of the peer-to-peer fundraising, you know, terminology for them. Mm-hmm. I love that. I think You've just created, uh, well, one, I'm a huge fan of simple and because it's easy for the brain to consume and it's easy then to execute. And I think you've just offered our good human listeners incredible filters to, I think anyone who's just listened to you can literally go and revamp their volunteer program in terms of just how they think about it and how they execute against it. And I love that volunteer-led, staff-led piece. It's definitely something that 
you know, we've done in, in, in the work that we've done. But I think that's where a lot of lines get blurred if you don't start there when it comes with volunteers. Those roles and responsibilities are important and that helps us have a meaningful, impactful and fun time when we're doing what we're doing to your point of privilege and responsibility. And I, I love all of that. Thank you for sharing that. One of the, one of the things we talked about and you just touched on it is this value, the, these value statements that you have within your team. And so I know you're, you know, you're, you are all the things that you speak of. You're definitely fun and you also care deeply about what you do. And I think when you've taken the time to invest in creating this values statement for your staff, I'd love to, I'd love to hear some of it. Yeah. So I think we're lucky to to do this for our, for our jobs. And I have, I'm a passionate person. I'm an enthusiastic person and I get to use those at work, which is cool. And yeah. you know, you get it, you get to be a part of people's journey, which is cool. And then also sometimes you like, you know, if you're doing events, you, you like order bubbles or like yeah. a clown. <laughs> and so bubble makers are fun. <laughs> kids love bubbles. If you, if you yeah. don't have, and then another hallmark of my events, our team's events is beer and ice cream, right? That's what we try to have that at all of our events. You got something for everybody. If you got those two things. So love it. So almost all beer, of them. Beer, ice cream and bubbles. If you take nothing else, beer, That's ice it. cream and bubbles. Done. Tell people that they're going to be there, make sure they're there and then everyone will show yeah. up happy. That's, that's, Perfect. you got to set the expectation. So yeah. So values, I think any, any good organization has like values, right? Like you mm-hmm. have to know what the, the way you go about your work. That's why values are important. Like what, how do we approach anything that we do? We need mm-hmm. to know where we're coming from. And that's not, you know, there's a lot smarter people than me that have written stuff about values for businesses and Harvard business review and other, and other, other places. And I, I like kind of reading some of those things and I like leadership. Mm-hmm. And so I think the values was something that we wanted to create a couple of years ago. And it's something that we created as a team. It wasn't something that I like set down from, from my from desk. Those. Like, yeah. And I was like, these are our values. Don't you agree with the values? And it's like, that's not our values then that's your values. Right. And so you just open it up. And I did have some things in mind, but I also knew my team really well. I have an amazing team. We worked together for a long time. Like I kind of oh. knew where we would end up and I bet they would have told you, yeah, we'll probably have one about teamwork. We'll probably have one about about problem solving. We'll probably have one about this. And, and guess what? Like that's what we ended up with. So we have four values. We kind of introduce one of our team meetings with a different value. We call it the value of the week. And then sort of, if you're able to sprinkle that value in one of your updates or one of your questions for the team, or someone else can answer your question, if they can sprinkle that value and it's kind of just like top of mind. Cool. Um, but yeah, the values are, we win together. Winning takes teamwork. Our, one of our values is we care. That's it. I, I will I will mention this for like folks that are are managers or or not someone that wants to manage someone that is being managed whatever is like we we care about each other like that's not just we care about right. our work and we care about our participants but like we truly do care about each other and I think we're lucky for that and yeah I think you could say the privilege and responsibility thing to apply to a lot of things in life and in work and mm-hmm. I think it's definitely a privilege and a responsibility to be on a team that really cares about each other mm-hmm. and so I, know, I just wanted to mention that I think we challenge ourselves to be the best I think. One of the things that I would always look for when I'm hiring someone, and I would tell this to to my boss or whoever, mm-hmm. is like I want to be the best. I want people that be that want to be the best, and I don't think I am. I don't have that right. illusion, but I want right. people that are striving to be better and to be the best at all times. Again, I use sports metaphors a lot. I think you'll see this with with athletes when they're when they're drafted. You know, like you have that 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 player that seems like it, he or she might have all the talent, or they they might have all the talent. But right. like they don't make it in the pros. And like, sometimes it just comes down to the person that just like wants to continuously get better. 
we sometimes when we're talking about giving feedback, we say we watch game film. And that's my way of like destigmatizing feedback because Tom Brady watched game film his entire career. And he has how many Super Bowl rings? And he would right. go into the into the film room and watch, you know, how many steps he was taking when he was doing his drop back. He was watching his elbow, the most little right. fundamental things, making sure that's sharp. The best athletes in the world are doing that constantly. So yeah, we challenge ourselves to be the best and just always sort of trying to be the best. And I think that's one where in your, when you're dealing with a problem with, a, with an event, you're like, I don't know, let's just do this and like move on. And you're like, no, hold on. Like, let's, let's challenge ourselves to be the best here. Let's, let's just think about it for a little bit longer. Now, I know what events are like. Sometimes maybe you'll <laughs> reference, but you just want to you know, make sure we're like, we're giving this a, an honest try here. And then the last one is we focus on solutions. And I think we're lucky to have people on our team that focus on solutions. And this means we will point out things that are wrong, but that's focusing on the problem. And we should focus on solutions. And, and generally speaking, leaders that are leaders of people, much larger teams than me, want someone that's going to come to them and say, hey, guess what? This is a problem. And guess what? I've got, I've got a solution or two to, to, to share with you here. And I'll share a, a real quick kind of fun anecdote by a business sort of, I guess, leader or a thought leader that I've, that spoke to us a few years ago. His name is Harry Kramer. He's a, a professor at Kellogg Business School at Northwestern. Okay. He used to be the CEO of Baxter, which is a really large pharmaceutical company. And he has a book called Values-Based Leadership. And he used to have this rule at Baxter. And he's kind of a funny guy when he's telling these stories. And said, he had the rule, this rule at Baxter where if you identified a problem, you got one point. If you identify, if you identified the problem and provided a solution, you got 10,000 points. And it's most points wins. And he's just like, and then he also like said, to, to things about keeping things simple, he also said that people would come into his office as a CEO and they'd say, Harry, I got this really, really complicated problem. He'd say, stop, turn around. This is, of course, probably just a story. Leave my office. Yeah. Come back when you can when you can make it simple. There's no complicated problems here. We are doing nope. simple problems. And that's the CEO of a you know a billion multi billion dollar right. company. So so yeah, we care. We win as a team. We focus on solutions, and we try to be the best. I love it. I love all of it. I love I love that I had the opportunity to meet you and be introduced to you. And I am so grateful I've had this opportunity to share you with the good humans that listen to our podcast. You have so much insight and wisdom. You have so much heart for what you do. It has been my absolute pleasure to invest this time with you this afternoon. And I can't wait for people to hear this. People are likely going to want to reach out to you or start to check you out. Where can they find you? Yeah, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Love making connections. I'd be happy if anybody's in Chicago to grab coffee or whatever. Sweet. And he means it. He means Absolutely. it. So we'll make sure we link that in the show notes. And maybe even maybe even that book you just suggested, we'll link that as well. Keep sharing your TED tips, my friend. They are magic. So thanks again for being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening and doing good in the world. We see you. We can't wait for you to join us next time when we hear from another good human who will share their story along with tips and tricks that will help you execute extraordinary events that are sure to have a lasting impact on your participants, beneficiaries, donors, and colleagues. Make sure you follow Real Talk for the Nonprofit Event Pro wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review the show so other nonprofit event pros just like you can find our podcast so they too can create events that matter. Tune in next week to Laugh, cry and cheer with us on another episode of Real Talk for the Nonprofit Event Pro. See you soon.
Hey, good human. Are you hitting roadblocks with your events and marketing and need a bit of help to take it to the next level? We've got you. Sign up for our monthly hot seat coaching where we will answer your questions live on the podcast. That's right. You'll get to join me, Amy Milne, and my colleague, Lisa Cohen, right here on Real Talk for the Nonprofit Event Pro Podcast. And we will share our expertise to help you with your specific questions. Sound good? Great. Fill out the quick form by following the link in the show notes and we'll take it from there. We're stoked to have you on the podcast, Good Human Listener, to guide you through your current challenges. Keep it real.